Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you that we are here. Father, thank you that you are here. We invite you to be here this morning. Father, this morning, I've already had three phone calls before 8 o'clock, people that, that are ill, that are in a hospital. Father, we're, we're, as we just struggle along, help us to trust you and get through the things that we need to get through and trust you. Father, we thank you for the message that we're going to hear today because when we do seek your face, when we do pray, you will forgive us. You will heal us. You will strengthen us as a body. So I thank you that uh, we can trust you. We, can, we call upon you. I ask that you administer mightily with your spirit over this service today, that we would give you the glory and the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. amen. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's nice to be back up here. I think I had a three-week break from being sick and everything, so excuse my voice and my coughing this morning. Um, I'm still not 100%, but I'm back, so I'm excited. Um, so this morning, I woke up, first thing, song in my head, praise the Lord, um, and it is such a beautiful song, so I hope you'll bear with me, because um, I'm going to read quite a bit of the lyrics, because it's just so beautiful, um, and it just is, I think, so pertinent to um, those of us who are struggling, those of us who woke up sick and didn't want to didn't want to be in church, or those of us who just are worn out and tired and, and are just don't know what else to do and feel like they're at the end of, of what they can handle. Um, and I hope this just brings some encouragement today. It's a song by um, Brandon Lake, and it's called Gratitude. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. Um, and it says, all my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do, but every song must end, and you never do. So I'll throw up my hands and praise you again and again, because all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. I've got one response, I've got just one move. With my arms stretched wide, I will worship you. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, because all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song, because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Um, and so I just hope this is an encouragement to you. If you want to listen to the full song, he does it much better than I do because he sings it. Um, but just an encouragement this morning to not give up on worshiping the Lord, no matter what your circumstances are. Just stand up, lift up your hands, worship him. I love the fact that it says the song, we'll worship you, the song will end, but you never do. So let's let our worship never end as well. Would you please stand? We're going to go to the Lord for prayer and we're going to worship. 
God, we just uh, come before you this morning and we're humbled um, that we can stand in your presence. And we are just so thankful that you love us and that you show us mercy and grace and love every day, that your mercies are new every morning. Father, we just, we want to worship you. We want to throw up our hands and continue to worship. We want that worship to never end because you never do. Your goodness never ends. And we're just so in awe of that this morning. And so as we worship, I pray that your spirit would fill this place, that our hearts would be softened, prepared for the message that you have for us this morning, God. Um, I pray that as we sing, as we worship in, in truth, in spirit and truth, that the words that we sing, the message that we sing pleases you um, and that you are and that you are uplifted the way that you are meant to be and we pray all of this in your precious name
God, we just we just want to praise you and worship you this morning for who you are. When everything is stripped away, God, when it's just you, we worship you, we give you glory, we give you praise and honor this morning, Father. We know we're not worthy. to the fact that you love us anyway. And we thank you. We can never thank you enough, God. And God, if we've turned away for whatever reason, if our hearts aren't in this worship, God, for whatever reason, I pray that you would just help us to turn back to you. Help us to turn our, lift our faces to you this morning. Because you're the only one that matters. You're the only thing that truly matters, God. And we know that you want our worship and our praise. God, help us to want to give it to you because you deserve it. We pray all this in your name. Amen.
I do pray right now that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our ears so that we can hear this message that, that you have put on Pastor's heart, this continuation, God, of our, of our verse for the month and for the year, God, that we will humble ourselves and turn away from our evil ways. And when we do that, when we pray that you will hear us and you will heal our land, God, we live in a broken world. Our land is broken. We can all we have to do is turn on the news or look on social media to see something bad that has happened, God, um, because our world is broken, um, and we need a revival. We need a revival, God, but we need to want a revival, um, and so I pray that you would anoint Pastor Jay as he comes up from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet so that the words that he shares, the message that he shares is directly from you, God, a message that can change and renew and restore our lives, God, um, and that can and that can help us to truly live the first part of this verse, God, so that when we do our part, you do yours. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. You can all have a seat. If you're here visiting with us, I know there's a Vernon. Where's Vernon? Go like this wherever you are. Hey, Vernon. Good to see you. He would visit with us. I pray that you enjoy your, the service. I know Matt is here too. He went in the back and his wife is there and family. So good to have you guys here. Uh, I wanted to, um, sometimes I get bored and I like to just read things. And so I was reading something the other day and I'm going to have Eileen read some of it for us today. I think it's funny. So what's so funny? This is how my husband entertains himself when he's not studying for, for um, a sermon. Next. Good thing I found you, Gideon. It seems someone has been hiding all your Bibles in hotel rooms. <laughs> how come the waitress gets 15% and God only gets 10? Good question. I said, nard, I want to anoint his head with nard. <laughs> Things eased up on guardian angels after airbags were invented. How about if instead of giving you everything that you think you want for Christmas, I give you what you need? Will you please pick up all your clothes? <laughs> Another Eskimo baptism gone bad. Zipporah, honey, have you seen my staff? <laughs> She's scared. Lepers, I heal lepers. <laughs> Just look at him. He totally thinks he's God's gift to the world. and the ability to smile and to laugh. Jesus certainly brings joy into our lives. Amen? And praise God for his word and his grace. There were several things that we learned last week from our theme memory verse for this new year, which we'll be hearing from the entire year. I will be reminded of that. It's on all of our announcements throughout this year, along with the new memory verse for each month. So some things we learned last week from this awesome verse is that that it was God, right? It was God who approached the people. God called out to the people. It wasn't the people calling out to God. That's a very, very important point. 
and we learned that God called the people and that he had something that he wanted them to do. And then we learned that that something that he wanted them to do carried a promise with it, provided um, they did their part. So it was, it was conditional. It was contingent on their obedience. So, so we learned that. And then we also spoke about how it is so very important to, uh, when dealing with God's word and scripture, it's important to adequately uh, consider the context of that verse, to look at the context, verses before it and after it, and that your ultimate um, applic applicable interpretation of that verse has to cooperate with the context of that verse as well as with Scripture as a whole. We spoke about that last week, and that was very important for this text we're going to be talking about today. And then we <clears throat> examined whether the first part of Second Chronicles 7.14 has any relevance or, uh, or is applicable to our times today. Even though it was addressed to ancient Israel, we wanted to know if it actually applies to the 21st century church. And we found that it did. That yes, God causes us to humble ourselves, and he causes us to pray, and he causes us to seek his face, and he causes us to turn from our wicked ways. We learned that. If you did not hear that message, it is part two to today's message. It is found on our church website, on Facebook, and on YouTube, and I encourage you to listen to it if you haven't. It really ties into this message, and if you did not hear it or don't, don't hear it, this message will not be as, as important for you to grasp, okay? So today what we want to discover is if the second part of this verse in Second Chronicles 7.14 applies to us in any way. We know that the first part did. We want to make sure and see if the second part does, and if so, in what way. And so before we do that, would you please stand with me and join me in prayer? The title of our message is up on the screen. It's a divine call for revival. A divine call for revival. Please join me. And church, we need a Holy Spirit visitation today. And so, Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning. And because you are holy and we're not, we confess areas of our lives that would hinder the movement of your word today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to visit us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts. We invite you, Spirit of the Lord, to prepare our inner being in the name of Jesus. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come against everything that would hinder the Delivery of thy word in thy power and for thy glory in the name of Jesus. We pray that you would silence our hearts and that you would soften them and open our ears. That we would respond to your call today in the name of Jesus. We claim the blood of Christ, the finished work. We declare his presence and his power. And we commit ourselves to your keeping at this time, Lord. We give you the praise and the glory as we wait upon you, Spirit of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> I did mention several times last week that, and, 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 and the week before that, that, that uh, a common question naturally being asked today is, is the world coming to an end? Are we living in the end times? And, and, and that's a good, good, good questions, legitimate questions and concerns uh, to have. And as, 
as we think about the occurrences of our day and we think about uh, the, the choices being made and, and, and the lifestyles that are being uh, endorsed on people today, we can easily see that there is a, a backward spiral, a spiraling further and further away from God, His Word and His design. We can see that. We don't need to look too far to see that. But my main question with all of this would be, where does the church stand during these days? In other words, what is the role of the church? Are we to sit around and wait to see what happens next? No. You know, if, if Scripture is, is being fulfilled as, as many rightfully promote, then the church is a part, that is, you and I are a part, of the prophecies that are taking place. In other words, what's going on in our world, the church plays a role. So see, God has, has been preparing us and is still more so preparing us and wants to more so uh, prepare us, uh, not just for the season that we're living in right now, the role we play in it, but also for what happens thereof. And so let's see, right? Let's see if, it, if, if although it was God speaking to Solomon on behalf of the people of God, ancient Israel, back in that day, that even though he spoke to them, let's see if the second part of this verse, as was the case with the first part, is applicable to you and to me. And again, if so, in what way is it? So let's consider that this morning as we think about his word. God says up on the screen, if my people who are called by my name if my people who are called by my name, so he's initiating the moment. If they will humble themselves and if they will pray and if they will seek my face and if they will turn from their wicked ways, that is, deal with areas that obstruct us from God, he says, then, then, if they do their part, this is where I'll do my part. Notice up on the screen. I will hear from heaven. God says, if, if, if my people, again, remember he's talking to his people. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to the agnostic. He's not talking to the atheist. He is speaking to his church, his people. If my people, ancient Israel, who are called by my name, he says, then I will hear from heaven. I have a question. If God is omniscient, right? That means if, if God is all-knowing, why does he say that, if they do their part, then I will hear from heaven. Is there a prayer being prayed today that, that God is unaware of? Is there a prayer being prayed today that God is, it doesn't know about? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God being who he is, he, he knows our thoughts, he knows our prayers, he knows what we're thinking, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, whether we're living right or not, whether we're in the right place or not. God knows he's all-knowing. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is ruler of everything, always totally aware of all things. So, so what in the world does he mean here by saying, if my people, then I will hear from heaven. It, 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 doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that God doesn't hear. That would, that, would, that would contradict the Scriptures. That would rob him of his divinity. It does, however, indicate that when 
when we are living in unconfessed or unresolved sin, uh, there is something that inter interferes with our relationship with God. In other words, our connection with God is hindered as a result of sin to the point where he does not want to answer our prayer. <clears throat> and, so, and so he doesn't hear, so the fact that it says he doesn't hear our prayer, it, the idea there is, is there's something that is blocking us from God. We'll talk about it more in a little while, but there's something that is blocking us from him that keeps him from listening to our prayers or hearing our prayers from answering our prayers. You see, if a prayer is not heard, it can't be answered. And so it blocks him from, from answering our prayer as if he did not hear it, but we know he heard it because he's almighty God and he's omniscient. And so God, God is totally aware of everything that we say, everything that's going on in our lives. Church, please understand that God is uncomfortable with sin. He's uneasy about it. It, it makes him, it makes him, it hurts. It disturbs the holiness of God. It interferes with God, the sins of our lives. It disconnects. And what happens with that sin is that it interferes with God's willingness to hear our prayers and to answer our prayers. It interferes with that. It puts a, a barricade or blockade between us and God and therefore interferes with his willingness to respond to the prayers that we're praying. So in Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, that is if I, have, if I had held on to the sin, if I had not dealt with the sin, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished sin of, in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Isaiah 1, 15 and 16, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. And so the fact that he's not listening means he's not going to answer the prayer as if he did not hear it especially for our finite minds to understand that from a human perspective. Isaiah, 1, 59, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Surely the, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God so that he will not hear. So the word separated there in the Hebrew carries the idea of a wall or a barrier that keeps from connecting with and so God does indeed hear our prayers, but the fact that there is sin unconfessed, then the Lord does not meet the needs or answer those prayers. So we can accurately conclude from these verses and many more in the Scriptures that, that God is, is opposed or therefore he is interfered with uh, the prayers that are prayed from someone who is living in outright sin. That is, God does not respond to the prayer of someone who is not living right as he does with those who are indeed fighting the good fight and living their lives for Jesus. And so, does this apply to us today? Does it apply to us that if, if, we, if we confessing our sins to the Lord, are we able to receive the to receive God's ears to our prayers? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. If we're living right with God, if we're confessing our sins, if we're repenting before the Lord, we can indeed expect uh, to receive answers to our prayers. We can expect that God is hearing not so much because of us, but because of who he is and what he's done for us. And so, yes, we can apply that to our lives. If my people, those called by my name, will hum themselves, he says, dot, 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 I will hear from heaven. That is, I will hear to the point of responding to those prayers. Secondly, notice up on the screen. Not only will I hear from heaven, but he says that he also will forgive our sins. Think about that. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive the sins that in the first part of the verse that they had, that they had confessed to the Lord. That they had, he had told them to turn from. Now the difference between Old Testament and New Testament with regard to dealing with the forgiveness of sin is that in the Old Testament, when someone committed an intentional sin, he or she would be stoned to death. Even if it was a little child, that person would be stoned to death for committing an, an intentional sin. Something they knew they planned, they pre-planned and did. And if they committed an unintentional sin, which was the sin, imagine the thought life, how much you needed to conquer that. If you committed an unintentional sin, what you had to do was to take a, a, a bull or um, a lamb or even two pigeons if you were poor and couldn't afford them and you would take that to the priest and the priest would slaughter it and shed the blood on behalf of your sin on behalf of the sin that you were confessing think about that and if you committed another sin three hours later guess what you'd have to go get another bull or another lamb and take it to the priest and that would go on and on and on Imagine what that was like. Boy, we'd be busy. Some of us more than others. Where's Paul? Well, anyway, but, but you get the idea, right? We'd be busy all the time. And, and, and then the, the sin that was put over up because of your sin, the, the sacrifice that was made would only uh, take care of sin externally and temporarily. In other words, the priest would have to continue to shed blood on and on and on again for every sin that you committed, every unintentional sin. But then came Jesus. Yes, yeah, someone can say that. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Are we in a hallelujah church, brother? <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. Jesus came in, and, and, and there's a great difference between the blood of Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, and the blood of animals. You see, the blood of animals, what, what it did was it, it provided cleansing for sins of the past, not sins of the future. The blood of animals provided sin temporarily and externally of the cleansing. Jesus provided sin to be cleansed both internally and permanently. That's the power of Jesus. That's power of his blood. That's, that's his faithfulness. And so when Jesus, when the, when, the, when the animal was slain for the sin of the individual, that would provide that temporary cleansing, and it would provide it, it would have to be repeated again and again and again. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins, he provided permanent cleansing. That means it wasn't just for the moment, but it was forever and ever it was on and on it was all sin he covered all sin the old testament animal covered it covered the sin jesus covered all sin 
So I need to ask you this question today. If you are honestly a, a, a blood-washed, Jesus Christ-inhabited follower of Jesus Christ today, when he died 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins did he die for? He died for every single one of our sins. Bless the name of Jesus. He took care of the sin problem in a way that no animal in the Old Testament ever could have. I encourage you to read on these verses I just shared. Um, um, it, it's found in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. It's found in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 25 and 26. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 and 11. And if you read those three chapters, you get a big picture of the awesomeness of what Christ did for us. Above the priests of the Old Testament, Christ is the priest above all. And so Jesus does this awesome work and comes and does a work in us and for us that, that no animal in the Old Testament can do. And so we have all the reason in the world, you and I, have all the reason in the world to love and appreciate Jesus. With all the reason in the world to submit and surrender our lives to him who came and accomplished a work that could never have been accomplished and made access for you and me to have an intimate relationship with God. He's removed the barrier, the obstacle that kept us from the Lord. And so now we can have harmony and connection with God as we repent and reconnect with him due to the, the sacrificed lamb of Jesus. Yes, and so God is faithful to his word. He, now, now let me just say this, that oh, although Jesus has done all this for us, although he's accomplished this finished work, this completed work, it doesn't mean that you and I are not going to fall to sin's enticements from time to time. How many of you agree with me? You ever, anybody here ever make a mistake? Okay, seven of us. I mean, praise God. But let's keep praying for the other 30. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, um, I know you're in agreement, right? The, the Jesus, when he died, went to that cross, gave his life for us. But it doesn't mean that we're perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Right, Patty? Oh, sorry. <clears throat> but um, we're not perfect, however, because of Jesus. Amen. Because of Jesus, we can come to him. We can bow before him. We can confess and open up and repent of our sins. And then we can claim his forgiveness. We can claim his finished work. We can claim what, what he has done and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. Holding on to Christ, who he is, his faithfulness, and his goodness. And we can claim 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. How much? All unrighteousness. The word confess, he is actually the word hamalageo in Greek. The word hamalageo is where we get our English word homo. That's the beginning of the word there. And it means to be one with or to be in agreement with God regarding the sins of our lives. And it carries the idea of confessing that we're in agreement with God, that we've sinned against him, but also claiming the forgiveness, the forgiving grace of Christ and of God in Jesus Christ. And so we can, you and I can come before the Lord and confess our sins to the Lord and entrust ourselves to him. So in the Old Testament, as God required that, that an animal be sacrificed, 
for the sin of the people, an animal be sacrificed. It was a temporary covering, external covering over that sin. But it was also, please hear this, it was actually a, a sneak preview of the completed work of Christ to come. It was a foreshadow of the completion that Christ would conquer there at the cross. And some of the Old Testament prophets knew that. They didn't understand how it all would work. They didn't grasp the fullness of it. Psalm 22 gives us an idea of the cross, but they didn't understand it all, right? Job 19, 25 through 27. I won't call these verses. These are good for you to look at home. Job 19, 25 through 27. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 4 and verse 6. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. The finished work of Jesus in the Old Testament being declared that God would himself send a redeemer one day so that these temporary cleansings of sin would be permanent in Jesus Christ. Praise God for his grace. I don't know how much they served God in the Old Testament, but we have much more reason to serve him today. God's grace found in us and given us through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. Though he is speaking to ancient Israel, though God is speaking to ancient Israel, does this apply to us today? If we being washed in the blood confess our sins to the Lord, can we claim forgiveness? You better believe it. Yes, by repenting and renouncing our sins unto the Lord, we can claim the forgiveness of God. If my people, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin. Does that apply to you and to me today? Amen. Let's look at the last part of this verse. <clears throat> Up on the screen, he says, not only will I do that, not only will I hear, not only will I forgive, but I will heal their land. Stay with me here. I will heal their land. Up to this point, everything ties in with the church. Up to this point. Up to this point, we can claim everything that if we do our part, he'll do up to this point. However, let's consider for a moment the prayers of Solomon in chapter 6, and then the warnings of God in chapter 7. We'll consider that for a moment because everything up to this point ties in, into place. But because of the warnings from God in chapter 7 and the prayers of Solomon in chapter 6, we find that the promise of the heal, healing of the land was made specifically to Israel during that time or for for what was going on in their country. We'll talk about that in just a little while. But please stay with me. Amen? Stay with me. And so there are two views that I want to address here before we go on and see how God wants us to apply this text to our lives. There are two views. The first view is the view that, that says that, that uh, if you pray for God to bring healing to America, to the USA, if you pray that prayer according to 2 Chronicles 17, 7, 14, God will undoubtedly, stay with me, don't jump ahead of me, God will undoubtedly bring healing to the USA. And so let me just say that, let me just encourage you that remember that God is speaking directly to Israel regarding the situation in their land and their country. And he's promising Israel of healing, ancient Israel, of healing their land. And so I want to encourage you this morning, do not pray this prayer. Do not pray this promise for America to the point where you're holding God accountable to heal America because he said it in 2 Chronicles 7.14. 
let's stay with the context for a moment here, right? Let's stay with the context. In other words, do not pray the healing of America from 2 Chronicles 7, 14 as if God made that promise specifically to America. He made it to ancient Israel. So let's, but stay with me here, right? Stay with me. That's not a good prayer to pray there because you're taking the context out of it where it belongs. Again, stay with me, all right? The second prayer, the second view is the view that says that um, if you're praying for America to be healed, if you're praying for the USA to be healed, stop wasting your time. Because America as we know it today, as was the case with Assyria and Babylon, is hopeless. There is no hope for America no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you try, no matter how much you believe, no matter how much you intercede for America. America as we know it is doomed and going out and will soon stop existing. That's another view that, um, that is brought out there today. There, there, there are people that are so that uh, are so convinced that the world is coming to an end, are so convinced that America is doomed, that they're this close to giving a, a, a date as to when Jesus was coming. And I wish that they would tell him because he didn't know, humanly speaking. Matthew 24, 36. And, and, and so, yeah, if, if you believe that, if you're one of those who believe that America is finished and there is no hope and we don't need to pray for it no more because no matter how much we pray, nothing is going to happen. Let me ask you a question. If God himself, almighty God, were himself, because of praying people whom he causes to pray, if God were himself to say, I want to bring revival in America, can he? I'm not saying will he. I'm not saying that he's obligated to or that he will, but I'm, uh, what I'm asking is if he wanted to bring revival, even regardless of what you and I think about America, if he wanted to be, bring revival, can he bring revival to America? Absolutely. So let's be very, very careful with the view that America is over, our world is coming to and everything is finished because God can turn all that around. He causes in his word to pray and to seek his face, and awesome things can happen as a result. Let me read to you. By, by the way, let me say this. Um, as we think about America, as we think about this text, this particular last promise given to ancient Israel, let me take you to second let, let me take you to the sixth chapter. Please hear this. Sixth chapter up on the screen, verse 32. This is Solomon. He's praying. For the people, he's praying for the situation. He says, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel. Please hear this. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land. Does that remind you of anyone? But has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple. Next slide. Then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, please hear this, do whatever the foreigner, non-ancient Israelites, do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you and do as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Think about that for a moment. Think about what he might very well be saying there. Think about 
I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to argue very, very long with someone who says America is okay because of that chapter alone. But we'll leave it there. We remember that the specific promise of a healing of a land was mentioned to ancient Israel. But let's not forget the prayer that Solomon is praying at this point. It is really, really important for us to understand that, that, um, that God is, is, is he's addressing his people. It's important to understand that God is calling out to his people to do what they needed to do. He's calling his people. He's not calling the non-believers. He's not calling the non-church attenders. He's not calling the casual person walking down the street. He's not all even calling religious folks. He's calling his people and his followers. It's really important for to us to understand that, that he's calling his people. He's calling his followers. Don't overlook that, that the healing, uh, that the healing, that healing comes not to the land. Healing comes uh, because of the people in the land. Healing comes because of the people in the land. And that's what brings hope to a land, isn't it? What brings hope to a land is, is, is a people that are committed to the God of the land. What brings hope to a society is that there are people who are praying amidst that society for God to bring healing. Can God do that? Absolutely. David Jeremiah says that, that before we waste too much time praying for God to change our culture, pray that God would change us. It begins with his people. Revival, a move of God, a change of God, a changing of direction, a healing of a people and a healing of circumstances and a healing of a society and a healing of a land begins with the people of God. It always did. God is not saying, if the lost would turn to me, if they would start going to church all of a sudden, if atheists would believe that there was a God, then I would bring healing. No, it's always his people. And it's his people he's addressing here as well. If my people who are called by my name. So God brings healing and he can. Let me read this quote. It's up on the screen. This is from a theologian, uh, 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 an, an, uh, a theologian, uh, a professor, an author. He's gone to heaven today, but um, Burton Payton. He says, this great verse, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, the best known in all the Chronicles, expresses as thus no other scripture, God's requirement for national blessing. God's requirement for national blessing, whether in Solomon's land, as the text we're reading from, in Ezra's, or in our own. Those who believe must forsake their sins, turn from the life that is centered in self, and yield to God's word, and will then, and only then, will we see heaven sent revival. I'm going to read that last part again. Those who believe... This is not just speaking of ancient Israel. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He's about holiness. He's about holy pursuits. Those who believe must forsake their sins, turn from the life that is centered in self, and yield to God's word and his will. Then and only then will heaven send revival. Church, here's the truth of the matter, right? We're not ancient Israel, but we still have a responsibility regarding the areas that God has put us in. So I ask you this question, right? I ask you this question. 
again, although this was addressed to ancient Israel, and although we're not ancient Israel, if Christians honestly and truthfully and genuinely uh, repented of their wickedness and their weaknesses and surrendered themselves completely to God, that is, if they've taken their lives and brought them to the altar of consecration and put them before God for God to move in their hearts and in their lives, can God revive that person? Can revival happen when you and I surrender ourselves fully to him as he causes to in his word? Can we experience revival? Amen? We should hear a loud amen for that. Even a hallelujah. Absolutely, absolutely, we can. And so, but let me ask you a question. Again, though God is not speaking specifically to us, he's speaking specifically to ancient Israel here in this last part of this verse, I ask you this question. If because of taking the proper steps to experience a move of God in our lives, if because of that, is it possible that there will be pockets, pockets, of revival and pockets of a word of a work of God in the life of individuals who are surrendering themselves, giving their lives. Well, there is it possible that they can be pockets in their communities, in their homes, in their places of work, in their businesses? Could there be pockets of revival taking place in individual lives, in areas of the lives of those that are living lives filled with revival? Is it possible that if I'm revived today, God can touch other people for revival with my passion for the Lord? Can God do that with his church? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so if God can do that, if God can bring healing to particular areas where revived people are living, if he can bring healing to those areas, is it possible that he can bring healing physical, mental, emotional, psychological, and yes, even political healing in areas where there are people living in revival and that within that hearing of that revival going on, within the parameters of that group of people that are experiencing revival, can God change lands? Can he change people? Can he change areas? Can revival happen as a result of men and women filled with the power of God in various areas of their residences? Can he revive other people through that? Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. That's the God that he is. He can bring revival. He is my biggest concern in these days. My biggest concern is not whether Christ is coming or when he's coming or that he's coming. I know he's coming. That's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is what role will the church be playing during that time? In other words, what role is the church to play especially during the seasons and the times that we're living in today, what is the role of the church? What is the church to be doing? How is the church to be living? What, import, what, what impact can the church have in a slowly declining environment and society like we have today? That's my main question. Church, the truth of the matter is that God has, is, has called his church, whether it was ancient Israel or the church today in the 21st century, he has called his church to be a life-changing to the society we live in. But honestly speaking, I'm afraid that society is in, in, instead changing the church. 
I'm afraid that the church and society are so hard to determine which is which today because we've been, whether it be, we've become like, we've become accustomed to, we've accepted some of the uh, teachings and, and philosophies of our world so much that it's hard to dif differentiate a church member from a non-church member. God wants to send revival. God wants to do something, and he, he wants to do something in our society, but unfortunately, it doesn't begin with society. It begins with the church. It begins with his people. He says, if my people, the only hope for our world, the only hope for, for our times, the only hope for our beloved USA is not whether they turn back to God. It's not going to happen unless the church plays its role in this generation. God is calling the church, if my people. So let me close with this thought. So revival is not something that happens or that necessarily happens uh, um, in a special revival service. It's not something that necessarily happens in a three-day week, a weekend of revival meetings. It's not even something that happens because of what something that God does. Revival happens because of something that we do. You see, we, we play an important part of revival. We play an important part when there is a move of God. It's not a move that's happening because of nothing. It's a move that's happening because there are men and women on their knees crying out to God to intervene and to interfere in our times, inviting him to have his way first in us and then in what's going around us. And so God is indeed calling you and me to revival. It is a divine call because it's him calling out for it and not us calling out for it. Let's connect with God as he's calling for revival. If my people, I'm going to bring healing, I'm going to bring change, I can get it done. So when revival is sent down is when God's people humble themselves and pray. That is, they, they confess, they repent, they renounce, and they surrender their lives and commit their lives to the ultimate keeping of Jesus Christ. That's when revival will visit his church. And let me say this, that revival is not a thing that just happens from time to time. Hey, it's time to look for revival next week. Let's start next week. Revival is an everyday thing. Experiencing, knowing, encountering, staying focused, in tune with God on a day-to-day -day basis, that's revival. We're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. It is a con constant filling. Be filled with the Spirit today and Monday and Tuesday. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Be literally in the Greek says, be being filled. Continually be filled with the Spirit of God. That's revival in our lives. Our world is in danger. Our world is in trouble. You want to discourage yourself? Watch the news for five minutes. You want to encourage yourself? Read the Bible for 10. And the more you read the Bible and you it, it, it allow his word to overtake you, the more he begins to fill the void, the concerns, the anxieties, and the fears with hope and peace and guidance and direction. That's his word. That's his promise to you and to me. And so God wants to do a dynamic work in your heart and my life. Listen to this, please. Here's, a, here's an appropriate prayer. You ready? Here's an appropriate prayer. Holy Spirit, send your revival. Holy Spirit, come upon me. Holy Spirit, 
overtake me. Holy Spirit, change my thoughts and my desires and my passions. Fill me with your fullness and with your power. Have your way in my life, Holy Spirit, and glorify Jesus. Help me to be a light in the dark place. Help me to be a light for Jesus, to deal with sin, and to surrender totally to you. A prayer like that, inviting him to have his way in our lives. I want to close with this question, all right? Here's a question. Is there anything in your life that is keeping you from revival? Because he said, right, he said up on the screen, he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, that is, go away from, walk in the opposite direction, turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to hear. Then I'm going to forgive. And then... I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring change in my world. If my people. So is there anything that is keeping you from revival? Anything that is keeping you from revival? And if there is to start this new year, 2023, with an intent to deeper encounter and experience Jesus, what would you have to do? No one knows you better than you and Jesus. What would you have to do to experience this, this divine call from God for revival? What would you have to do? What are the obstacles, the hindrances, the things that are keeping his church from encountering him? It's easy to become a Christian. It's hard to be one. In fact, we can't be one without the Holy Spirit as he comes and brings the fires of his revival into our lives. Do you want revival this year? It begins right now. Not next week, right now. Not when you fix up your act, right now. He calls us to do what we need to do. Every year I start the year with prayer cards. I give out prayer cards, and I pray for you and you know it. I love. I, I want to thank you for those of you who give me reason to pray for you because I've had some awesome moments with God in the prayer closet on behalf of the prayers made for his, by his people. And last year, we had more answers to prayer since I've been in this church to the prayer cards. So I want to give out a prayer card today. I want Paul and Caleb, if you help me here for a moment. If you're here today, what we do is usually you write something on that card that you want me to pray for you during this year. It's an accountability prayer paper. And then you fold it, put your name in the back, fold it, and you will drop it in this box, and I will be praying for you. Some of you, depend, depending on the extent of the prayer, I will probably contact you by phone or see you in person to help you get there. That's what, that's what, we, that's what accountability is. Let me help you get there. Let's help each other get there. And, um, and I will be reminding you of the prayer throughout the year. And so... Uh, if you would want one of these prayer cards, listen, if you don't want to put it in the box, put it in your Bible. Maybe God said something to you today and you want to put it in your Bible or share it with a, a friend, a sister in Christ if you're a female or, or, or a sister in Christ or a brother in Christ if you're male. Share it with someone to hold you accountable. So it's something between you and God. If you want me to be a part, an intercessory part of praying for you, I encourage you to write it on there, put your name in the back, and then Drop it in this box before you leave today. Okay, so just raise your hand if you want one of these prayer cards. Prayer really works. Revival is real. But there are obstacles, there are hindrances to revival. And those obstacles and hindrances 
are only removed by our willingness to have them taken away. You pray that prayer, you believe God, and you have other people praying for you, you will, I guarantee you, experience revival. But here, once we grab revival, don't let go of it. Hold on to it every single day. We should be experiencing the presence and the power and the anointing and the joy of Jesus every single day, not on Sunday mornings only. Every single day, every moment of each day, amidst the chaos and the confusion and the winds of this world, we can still experience the presence of God if you are indeed a child of Jesus. Amen? So if you can fill that out and put it in this box before you leave, I'm actually going to put the box in the back. So, Brother John, would you do me a favor? Just put that in the back, please. Thank you. Just right in the back where the offering plates are at. If you can do that for me so that when they're leaving, they can put it in there, okay? You fold it, put it in that, and, the, and then we'll start praying for you. Revival is yours to have. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Starts right where we're at. Starts right where we're at. Please put your name on that. Drop it in the box at the end and let's believe God. And if you're here today as I close in prayer, if you're here today and you would say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Uh, even if you didn't fill out a paper, pray for me. I know that I know what I need to do to experience revival. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, if you're hearing us on online, if you're hearing us in social media and somehow YouTube or Facebook, if you're hearing us today and, and, and you know that there's something blocking you from experiencing and counting the Lord, Jesus came and died for your sins, gave his life for you. He was the sacrifice that was needed to make restitution be, with you and God. If you've never said, Jesus, be my Savior, my Lord, cleanse me of my sins, I receive you as the sacrifice I need to be connected to God, you've never done it, today's your day. And you can pray a simple prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins, I confess that I failed you, that I've lived apart from you, but today I heard again that you died on that cross and gave your life for me. And today I receive you as my personal Savior and Lord, Help me to live a, a different life, a better life, a life of revival so that I can be a light to my family, to my workforce, to people that I know, and to people around me. In Jesus' name, amen. And God will do it. If you pray that prayer, if you're here today and pray that prayer, can you see me before you leave? If you heard us online and pray that prayer, please contact us or any church in your area and speak to a pastor regarding the choice you made so that they can help you take those steps to growing in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we bless you this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that when you come, you come to bring change. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that even if you spoke to two or three of us, Holy Spirit, there's two or three of us that are going to experience a move of you in our lives. Holy Spirit, our world is in desperate need for a cry for revival to happen. Our world is in desperate need of men and women filled with your power. Our world is crying out for truth and for answers, and they're searching everywhere. And they're comforting one another with false hope. And yet, Holy Spirit, you're ready to fill and to move and to empower and to send fire to your church. In Jesus' name, would, do, would you do that in me? Would you do that in the leadership of our church? Would you do that in 
the heart and life of everyone seated before me right now in the name of Jesus. As we bow before you, Spirit of the Lord, we invite your presence and your power to bring revival. We pray, O oh God, that you would remove obstacles and hindrances. We pray that you would send the spirit of conviction upon our own lives to things that, that become minimal, that are big in your sight in our lives. Would you, Holy Spirit, bring about conviction that we would be restless holding on to something that you're saying, lay it at the altar for my fire to come. Bring revival to our church. Bring revival to the churches within our communities here that honor and glorify Christ. Bring revival to our nation, dear God. Move in your church and through your people, God, that others would be astounded by consistency and commitment and fire that comes from holy, devoted people to God so that Jesus, Jesus, you alone, would be glorified and praised. We want to see lives changed. We want to see societies changed. We want to see people changed. But we know it begins with us being changed first. Not the men in the White House, but the men in my house. It's us you want to change. It's your church you want to change that will bring the torch of the lit up heaven's lights to a lost world. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand for our closing song?
convinced that God wants to, to bring a different kind of revival in our times. I'm so convinced of that. Um, please be in prayer for me. You all, some of you put a paper in that thing, I hope. Um, but I'm going to let you know my prayer is the messages that God's going to bring this year are not all going to be all that easy to accept. When we talk about revival and we talk about fire and we talk about a surrendering to the Lord, there's a lot of spiritual warfare involved. There's a lot of uh, sermons the enemy doesn't want preached from this pulpit, so I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me when I'm preparing sermons and seeking his face. Pray for my wife and my family and pray for our church. Pray for a softening of the heart. Our hearts are hard. They're callous. And only the Holy Spirit can penetrate those hearts. Would you please be in prayer for us? God wants to move because that's who he is. And our times are calling out for God. But it's not going to happen unless the church plays its role. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your grace. Holy Spirit, thank you for, uh, thank you, thank you for interfering in our lives. Thank you for interfering when we're too comfortable. Thank you for nudging hearts. Guard us and guide us with what we're watching on TV. Guard us and guide us with what we're watching on social media, on the internet. Will you guard our moments that if we pursue revival every moment of our lives, we're going to experience guidance by your spirit regarding things we do, things we think, places we go to things we're planning, things we're doing, things we're not doing. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do that in the Community Alliance Church this year. We invite you to do that in the heart and life of everyone standing before you right now. We invite you to do that to anyone whose ears are opened to your word and this message of yours today on social media. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to overtake even the internet watchers in the name of Jesus, to visit homes and visit communities and visit our lives and visit our families and visit our relationships and our, and, our, and our places of work, our places of residence. Would you visit, Spirit of the Lord, would you visit them, would you visit our moments and visit our times through us during this season, this timetable of God that we're privileged to be a part of, that we can be change makers because the change maker is changing us and making us different in a world that says otherwise. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And all the people together say,